Welcome to the Boys of Summer podcast. I'm Gene Gums. I'm taking over the host for today's podcast, so I apologize ahead of time. I am joined, as always, by my friends Paul Arnold and Eric Braun. How are you guys? Are you ready for this? Yes. I'm doing great. Good. In the words of Tommy Lasorda, we're ready, and we don't cheat. And even if we did, we would never tell you. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about Tommy Lasorda in a little bit. We've got a lot to get to in this episode. Let's start off with probably the most recent thing, obviously, the Hall of Fame. And the reaction, or your reaction, to the fact that nobody got into the Hall of Fame. Uh, It wasn't necessarily unexpected, although most people did think that Kurt Schilling was going to get over the top. So my first question to you is, A, are you surprised? And B, is this going to be the new norm with the way that society is going now with how judgmental we have become, where we are putting everybody under a microscope, and there is no room for anybody to be anything less than St. Francis of Assisi (laughs) to get into the Hall of Fame. So let's start off with you, Paul. Are you surprised? Not really. I mean, if you're not aware out there, folks, Kurt Schilling isn't afraid to tell his opinions, and he's been fired by ESPN for insulting comments about sexual orientation. He was defending the use of the Confederate flag and talking about how it's designed to represent nationalism. Uh, He's criticized President Obama, and he said in 2015 he wasn't put in the Hall of Fame because he was a Republican. So he's not winning a ton of friends, um, but he's only 16 votes away. Um, But the way he reacted sort of surprised me. He's so close. Most people think he's really he's going to go in next year, but he just threw a temper tantrum and just said, ah, just take me off. The writers don't know anything. Um, Okay, how old are you, Kurt? (laughs) Well, you know, it was funny, too. That was one. I actually on my notes, I put Schilling's temper tantrum because I I can't think of any other way uh, to characterize it. How about you, Eric? Were you surprised by this? Uh, You know, I was a little surprised. I kind of expected him to get in. Uh, But, you know, I mean, he he compares very unfavorable unfavorably to the St. Francis of Assisi. I mean, you know, I'm not sure that's I'm not sure that's fair. And he doesn't love um, animals and puts on Christmas scenes. No, no, he's. I mean, he's made a career out of being a jerk, and you know, sometimes that's not a great way to to make friends and influence people. But uh, you know, I also think it hurts him. You know, he's not his stats don't make him a slam dunk for the hall of fame i mean you know what 216 wins you know normally they like more than that um you know i mean he's i expected him to get in it's not like i didn't think he would but uh you know his stats aren't a slam dunk to get in and when you're uh you know a questionable character you're 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 gonna have trouble getting in and it's not like i don't i can't imagine that you know when you, it's not like there aren't a lot of Republican baseball players. I mean, Chipper Jones got in, right? I mean, come right, on. Yeah, yeah well, no, not a huge well, you know, one of the other things, don't forget, it wasn't it just a year or two ago where he had a T-shirt that said about lynching writers, r- lynching reporters. <laughs> so I can't imagine that endeared him to a lot of people either. Um, but 
you know, and I, I get your point, Eric, where you look at his regular season numbers and you say, well, he isn't necessarily a slam dunk, although 216 wins in this day and age, mm-hmm. we're not going to see, we're probably not going to see anything over that because I'm not sure guys are going to, uh, now that wins have been devalued, uh, we're not going to see numbers like that. But I think it's his postseason career that got everybody excited. I mean, you look at, the, I mean, he was 11 and two in the postseason, Amazing. you know, an and ERA of 2.23 in the postseason. I mean, you know, he, in uh, what, 133 postseason innings, he walked just 25 guys. I mean, it's just, he did remarkable things. He had a whip of under one for the postseason. And even in the regular season, he, he had a whip of 1.1. I mean, his numbers are, they're pretty impressive. So I, I believe he is a Hall of Famer. Um, but I just am concerned with what we're seeing. Look, the, the PED thing aside, and I want to talk about that in a minute, but, you know, should baseball, and I know there is a clause in the Baseball Writers Association bylaws that say you have to take character and integrity into it. But Omar Vizquel got accused of domestic violence. Uh, Roger Clemens' PEDs aside, there was a talk about he might have had an inappropriate relationship with somebody who was 17 years old at one point. Um, you know, and... Uh, Barry Bonds was accused of, of uh, kicking his wife. I mean, so they're digging deep into stuff that didn't happen in or on the field. We already have criminals in the Hall of Fame. We've already got racists in the Hall of Fame. So what? why all of a sudden has it gotten so much more important, the character issue? Mm. Well, let me take that for a little bit. I do agree with you that... In America, we are focusing a lot on other people's faults instead of looking for what's good in people. And I do think it's sort of a double standard that the Hall of Fame is now getting so intense about the moral standards. I think it started with Pete Rose a little bit, and then the the PED conflict, or not conflict, it sounds like a war, um, that whole situation just escalated. I was listening to Buster Olney, and he gave up his Hall of Fame vote because he felt like the baseball writers were set up to be the patsies on this. That the baseball writers who didn't play the game are easy target, and the Hall of Fame can just hold, hold, throw up their hands and say, oh, we didn't vote you in. Uh, it's all the baseball writers. So I think there needs to be a look at the whole thing. And yes, I'm not trying to argue that all the PED players should get in, but I do think it's a slippery morally ground when you say, oh, look how bad that person is, and you don't look at your own life as well. I mean, you know... Many people know I'm a minister, and Jesus says, you know, the person with, without sin, throw the first stone. I mean, nobody can throw that first stone. So I think the key to me is anybody who's done things, like, what have they done besides those few instances in their life? Um, were they a good player? Um, and so I, I feel like we got to change this whole process. Well, as the, uh, uh, I guess, sort of former sports journalist, <laughs> the crowd, I will say, you know, I mean, they, the, 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 uh, the baseball writers are tasked with, you know, even if it's not fair, they're, they're tasked with making these decisions, right? And one of those things is to include, um, you know, uh, the moral character clause, right? And if they're going to be tasked with doing that, I think that maybe sometimes unfairly, but they're, um, you know, that's their job. They're going to, you know, if they look and they're looking through, you know, the lenses of, you know, 2021 20, now, um, although I guess they were 
the votes were cast last year. Um, but, you know, if even if they're looking at these players from the, the, the view of, you know, how people act, act in, a, in, you know, it's been a dramatic few years in, um, you know, in kind of how we view, especially things like domestic violence, how you treat how you treat women. Um, the way you you act out, I think you know a lot of those writers are probably, you know, saying, hey, you know, maybe baseball needs to change, and that maybe these things that people are doing, and even if they're great, you know, they need to be judged on that. I'm not saying I agree with that, but I think that is the way that you know these guys are charged, and women are charged with, uh, you know, judging these players. Uh, look, I'm not. Kurt Schilling's agent. I want to put that right out front. All right. Oh, you don't get 10%, but let, huh? No, but let me give you, uh, let me just play devil's advocate with some of this stuff. You know, you talk about the morals clause, and we're talking about stuff that Kurt Schilling, the stuff that's ha- happened with Schilling has happened long after his career was over. He was always considered a great teammate. You have not heard one of his teammates come out and say, this guy was a putz. You have not heard that. You know, you have heard nothing but good things about Kurt Schilling. He loves the game of baseball. He is a student of baseball history. He always used to talk about baseball history while he was a player. He was the kind of guy that if a reporter needed a quote, you knew who to go to, and that was Kurt Schilling. He didn't, he didn't mind talking. So while he was playing, there were no issues with Kurt Schilling. Everything with Kurt Schilling has happened after he retired. Is that fair? Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. That's a very good point. So I would have voted him in. To me, if you get over 200 wins uh, and you've been in the playoffs and you've won a World Series, I think you get in. Um, You know, the big question is Big Poppy's coming up next year. And Big Poppy, you know, he didn't have a sterling record, but he was such a character guy when they needed him the most. I mean, not only on the field, clutch hits, but the Boston Marathon bombing. I mean, he stepped up, and yes, he dropped the F-bomb, but he, he got the team you know, really rallied in the whole city saying, hey, we're not going to be defeated by a few random people. And now he's a commentator, and so I think he's going in on the first ballot. Some people say they're going to not vote him in the first year. So that's the problem. There's a perception that the baseball writers are a little like wannabe baseball players who – like the power and almost want to punish people by not voting them in. Is that an accurate description of them? That's what I get from other um, sports fans. I have a lot of friends who are sports writers. I so and 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 uh, you know Pete Abraham, who is the beat writer for the Boston Red Sox, is, is a good friend of mine. I've known Pete for 25 years, and I don't agree. He's not. That's not who he is. Uh, Adama Mori, who's a friend of mine from the Hartford Current, covered the Yankees for years. That's not who he is. You know, are there some that are like that? Yes, I think. But I think I think fans uh, and and baseball players who don't get in, that's a convenient way. That's a convenient argument to use, I think. And I don't think it's fair. Mm. Mm. It's just my opinion. So now. So carrying on with this, with you, you mentioned Big Poppy and the whole PED thing. It, and there was only one reference to David Ortiz with PEDs. That was in the Mitchell report in 2003. And since then, by the way, <laughs> Rob Manfred's come out and said, well, that was inconclusive. Don't worry about that. Just ignore that, <laughs> you know, which is pretty funny. Yeah. But, the two, you know, the two people going on the first ballot, first ballot next year, A-Rod and David Ortiz are going to be the two biggest names on that ballot yes. next year. Yes. You know, and let me just play again, playing devil's advocate. If you, you want to use the Yankees argument, advocate here. Yeah. 
If you want to, <laughs> if you want to make the argument that PED players don't belong in the Hall of Fame, okay, and you can make that argument if you want to, and I think we've had this conversation. To me, there's two two levels. If you got caught after testing started, if you got caught and suspended, you're out. You don't get in. But if you were playing like Barry Bonds was, like Roger Clemens was, like you know so many other people were, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. If you were playing before it was strictly illegal and before it, there was testing, you shouldn't have that held against you. And here's the case in point. Here's exactly what I'm talking about. Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame. He was put in by one of the committees. He is the commissioner of baseball during the PED era. Mm. He was a guy who turned a blind eye to it and didn't implement testing until 2004 when you know people were losing their minds because the home run numbers were going out of sight. So he's in the Hall of Fame, but you're going to tell me that anybody played while he turned a blind eye to what was going on doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame? You're saying hypocrites here? Hypocrites? That's exactly what I'm saying. Isn't that hypocritical, or am I wrong? You know, the owners always look like they want to be greedy Simpson owners, you know, like they rub their hands together and go, ha, 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 we got them. And I do think, just like the baseball writers, the owners really do want to win and protect the game. But there are times you go, what's going on here? And I agree. If it wasn't illegal, let's say when Mark McGuire was taking the Android stuff, it wasn't illegal. But now he's getting punished for it. Is that fair? And I don't think it's quite fair. I think there should be some more guidelines set up by the Hall of Fame. Even to the point, should the Hall of Fame decide who gets on the writer's vote instead of the writers figuring that out? Um, and, and come up with some rules. It's so Wild West right now, isn't it? It's up to everybody's interpretation. And just instead of just saying, let's own up, this is a real issue, and make it clear. Like for Pete Rose, he's not in because he bet on his own team. Now, if he bet on other teams, other players did that, but he bet on his own team, and that was going over the line. So what's you're saying, Gene, over the line is taking the drugs, PEDs, when it was illegal. But before Correct. that, that's not over the line. Right. That's what, and right. And with, as far as Pete Rose goes, look, uh, gambling was always against the rules in baseball. Always. And it didn't matter who you were betting on. It was, that was been, that's been in the clubhouses and baseball since baseball began. It's always been against the rules of baseball. So I can understand the Pete Rose thing. I don't necessarily like it, but I can understand it. Mm. Well, Bonds and Clemens came right after Schilling. They both got 61%. Yep. And. Right. I mean, they're pretty close to getting in, but they're the, not getting in. the big yeah, talk got, is Roland. Roland probably leapfrog a bunch of people and get in. Yeah, Roland had a nice time, but you know, Bonds and Clemens only have one more year, and they're going to have to jump up to like they're they're like fifty votes short. They're not going to make up that in they're one not year. Make it, yeah. No chance, Eric. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. And and I saw this in a in a uh, in an article, and and I'm curious what you think. Is, right now, you have the all time home run king, which by the way was Hank Garen. Uh, regardless of how many Barry Bonds had. Uh, Hammer and Hank. But, but you have the, the leader in home runs, not in the Hall of Fame. You have mm-hmm. the leader in hits, Pete Rose, not in the Hall of Fame. You have the guy who has won the most Cy Young Awards ever, Roger Clemens, not in the Hall of Fame. If, if the Hall gets to a point where too many of these top guys are being left out, does the Hall of Fame lose its credibility as... A Hall of Fame if that many people are starting to get left out well I think I think baseball is diminished just by the entire steroids era right um, and that's what we're talking about you you know I mean sure is the 
uh, is the hall diminished? But yes, because all of baseball was diminished by that era. Uh, I think you have to look at, uh, again, you know, was it against the rules technically? Uh, probably not for the steroids, but it wasn't exactly encouraged either, right? I mean, they knew what they were doing. Uh, and certainly Barry Bonds knew what, that what he was doing was wrong. Right. Um, uh, do I think that those guys should be in the Hall of Fame at some point? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they should. And we, like we've talked before, I mean, Barry Bonds, had he never taken any steroids, would have been in the Hall of Fame, right? His career mm-hmm. before he started on steroids it was just ego and uh, opportunity and, uh, you know, wanting that wanting that record essentially i think that got him to to take those those steroids so yeah yeah i think i think everything is diminished because of of the era i don't know how you how you fix that it's there's there is no even letting them in isn't going to fix fix that i don't think you know before we move on to the next subject ken rosenthal on the major league baseball network made a comment yesterday and he said and i don't believe this but he said he thinks that a lot of the reason people didn't vote for Schilling, Bonds, or Clemens this year, and they didn't get in, was because Derek Jeter, who is considered Saint Francis, the St. Francis of Assisi <laughs> of baseball, Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter, who did everything clean and everybody loves Derek Jeter, they didn't want these guys on the podium the same time oh, as Derek Jeter. Because, no, I mean, this is what he said. She I mean, is. isn't that a little... Are we in fifth grade silly? again? I mean, gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, to me... You're giving people way too much credit if that's really what you think they did. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, just trying uh, to come up with a hot take or something like that. Yeah, Ken Rosenthal, Ken Rosenthal also said this is the Hall of Fame. The, the Hall of Fame ballot made him sick to his stomach, and he's not sure he's going to vote again. And I don't know about you guys, but anybody who says they don't want to vote anymore, you know what? Fine, don't. That's you know okay. what? Matter of fact, why don't you send me your ballot? I'll <laughs> fill it out for you. I would be, you know, these guys that say that it's it's an onerous thing to have to fill out the Hall of Fame ballot. Yeah, right. What the heck is the matter with you? That's that's an honor. I mean, you should be yeah. honored to be able to do that. I mean, that's crazy, yeah. isn't it? It is crazy. You know, the the whole thing. I mean, what I thought. I really think that of all the people who didn't get in, Omar Vizquel is probably. He has the, the biggest gripe. I mean, he had 2,900 career hits and 11 gold gloves. But beyond that, what, I think what drove me the most crazy is, uh, you know, you had several of the uh, of the baseball writers just submit empty ballots. Yes. You know, what? look, if you're not if you're if you're not if you're not going to vote, if you're not going to vote, just don't send it in. Right. right. Because that counts against because those zero votes count against the overall percentage. And that's probably what kept. Uh, bon- or shilling out of the hall. You're probably right. Yeah, you're right. And 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 to me, yeah, that's that's the old uh, that's the old middle finger is to me right, what, that, right. what that was. And I think when that happens, I think people should, you know, the, the Baseball Writers Association should consider maybe taking their their vote away from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. So, all right, let's move on. We beat that to the uh, <laughs> yeah. death. All right, uh, you know, uh, Hank Aaron passed away uh, last week, and. It was one of those things where he, he, I thought he was going to live forever. You know, I yeah. mean, you know, he, he he hit that his his record breaking home run. I was 14 years old. You know, he's this has been a guy that has been part of my baseball life for almost for as long for as long as I've, you know, watched baseball and to to see go. And, you know, he, he did an interview in December. He seemed healthy as a horse. And yeah, next yeah, thing you know, he's, he's gone. Up. And it's like and boy, I'll tell you what we 
you know, before that we lose Don Sutton and Tommy yep. Lasorda, and then we lost uh, what? Uh, we were Phil Negro and Joe Morgan and Al Kaline and Lou Brock, and it's like mm-hmm. it's like my childhood is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and and but Hank Aaron, I think, is the one that hurts the most. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, this guy was the epitome of class, considering what he had to endure when he was chasing that home run record of Babe Ruth. He just handled it with more class, I think, than you could, uh, than anybody could expect. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to sure. play for the Yankees, so that's another reason you like him, Gene. <laughs> there He's, is that. He was asked about that. Did he ever want to play in a bigger market like New York? And he said, I don't think I would have been a fit for New York. I was a fit to play in Milwaukee when I was younger because Milwaukee was a place that wanted me. I made mistakes and never was booed. I was, and, and never was booed. And he would have been booed in New York. I think he's a quiet, shy guy. And just the class, he always carried himself. And toward the end, when people were around him, they were almost in awe of how he could carry himself like he always did. And just that persistent excellence. I mean, he was never like the top, top player, it seemed like, behind Willie Mays or somebody else. But he was always right there. And, you know, they've said a lot over the radio lately that he's the only guy that if you take away his home runs, he'd still hit 3,000 hits. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. I love that. Crazy, That's yeah. Crazy stat, yeah. And, and and only one MVP in his entire career. The the guy who was the major league leader in home runs only won one MVP in his entire life. Three oh five career hitter, one MVP. That's amazing. And yeah, and that's just because he played in you know, in a smaller market. I, I think that yeah, I think that did hurt him. But I mean, and think about this. He never hit fifty home runs. Yeah. This is a guy never hit 50 home runs, but every year you could pencil him in for somewhere yeah. between 35 and 45. And I mean, consistency, you know, it, no question. That's the word. I mean, again, 3,700 hits. Do you know he only had 200 hits in a season three times? Mm. Think that about it. I mean, incredible. that's like the gold standard, 200 hits. You know, each year old could get 200 hits falling out of bed, you know, and Hank Aaron only did that three times in his entire career, but he ends up with 3,700 hits. I uh, just That's crazy. And again, so my question to you guys, mm-hmm. and, and this is a, something that a debate forever. Who's the greatest baseball player ever? Is uh, it Babe Ruth? Is it Hank Aaron? Some people will tell you it's Willie Mays. There are people that will tell you it's Joe DiMaggio. Some people will tell you it's Mickey Mantle or it would have been Mickey Mantle if he hadn't blown out his knee. Who's the greatest baseball player ever? Mm. Yeah, for me, it's always been between uh, uh, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. I mean, Willie Mays is the ultimate, you know, five to a player. I mean, he did everything. But you look at what what uh, Henry Aaron did, and they're virtually the same. I was listening to uh, a Joe uh, Poznanski podcast um, earlier today, um, just just getting ready for this, and I knew he'd have lots of insights. Um, but he had on the, the the Negro League Baseball Museum, Bob Kendrick, and he said, yeah, I can't remember who he uh, credited with the statement. He said, he said, really, uh, you know, Hank was just uh, Willie Mays with the with the hat that fit. You know, <laughs> <he> just, <laughs> nice. Uh, which is just yeah, he's just, and that's how he was, right? He was just you know kind of very quiet, very you know uh, uh, you know so much attention attention to detail. And just a student of the game, and uh, you know, just quietly went out and put together. You know, I had no idea what a great defender he was, right? Because yeah. you don't hear about it, but he, you know, his defense was right up there with anybody. So I was thinking, Gene, 
about the top five in baseball, not including pitchers, because this is so hard to compare pitchers with fielders, right? It, it right. just seems like it's a different area. So my top five was going to be Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, uh, t- and um, Mickey Mantle. So that's one, two, three, four. Am I missing that's one? Four. Yeah. yeah, you're missing one. Oh, sorry. Um, Joe DiMaggio. So that was my top five. Now, I live in near Detroit. Ty Cobb, if you're looking strictly at numbers, should he be yep. in the top t- you know, top five, if you don't think about his, you know, his negative views that weren't illegal. Character. If you don't think about his character, you know, <laughs> he, would he be in the top five too? But this baseball, we all love to debate this. And the other part about Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron, is I don't know. Did he win any World Series? One. One, yeah. He was, yeah, he was not, he didn't get, he only got in the World Series twice, right? Yeah, he in 1957 and 58. That's the only time he was ever in the World Series. They got to the NLCS uh, with Atlanta when he, uh, they lost to the Mets went back when the Mets won in '69. But they, he was only in two World Series. Yeah, of course, so he hit he hit three or he only hit he had three fifty seven in in uh, the postseason. Well, you were just talking uh, about how Kurt Schilling just you can, should consider his playoff record and how clutch he was. And right. Ted Williams got a lot of knocks not being clutch until he won. And I guess it's fair to say, you know, Henry Aaron was not the guy you thought of winning all the World Series because he didn't play for the Yankees during those years, right? Right. Well, and and that's the same. Well, Ted Williams never won a World Series. Ted Ted Williams never, you know, barely got into World Series right. very often because he was playing against those great Yankee teams. Yeah. You know, and both times Henry Aaron got in the World Series, by the way, it was against the Yankees. They beat the Yankees in 57 and lost to the Yankees in 58. Mm-hmm. And bo- and both of them won seven games. Wow! Uh, and he did his part. One of my most prized possessions. I have a letter signed by Hank Aaron. Um, wow! I wrote to him back in uh, the nineteen eighties. I can't remember exactly when it was. Late seventies, early eighties. There was a story in Sports Illustrated. It was a couple of years after he had retired, uh, talking about everything that he had gone through on that home run chase. It's and I remember crazy. reading it, and I was either just. I think I was in college when it happened. And I remember just how the story struck me and some of the stories that he related and how, how, I mean, he feared for his life. And, uh, and I wrote to him, he was working uh, for the Braves at the time. And I just wrote to him, just said, you know, that, that I was embarrassed for my country um, because of the way that he was treated. And, you know, nobody should be treated that way, regardless of anything. So anyway, about, I don't know, two or three weeks later, I get a letter back from Hank Aaron. Wow. Yeah. Now it was, uh, I'm sure he had a secretary type it out, but it was hand signed by Hank Aaron and it was on Turner network stationery. (laughs) Yeah. That was before there was a TNT. I think it was just TBS, but it was on Turner network stationery and it was signed by Hank Aaron. I still have it. It's one of my most prized possessions. And uh, the fact that, I mean, I was nobody and he took time out to, to actually send me a reply to the letter. Mm. Uh, I just, that, I think that speaks a lot for the kind of guy that he was. Class act. Yeah. Yeah. No question. They they talk about how he, you know, when he was watching uh, Mark McGuire, uh, you know, and Sammy Sosa chasing, the the home run record uh, that year I can't remember what was that ninety eight um, uh, that you know he really felt uh, the pain of you know because they had their their families in the stands and meeting him at home plate and he, you know when he beat 
Babe Ruth's record, his family was under FBI protection and right. away from the stadium altogether. So, yeah, that's just awful. I, I have uh, this is I saw this on Twitter and Twitter is the cesspool, but this was this was good. Uh, this is a chart of now Barry Bonds, of course, is the career leader. He had seven more home runs than than Hank Aaron did. And, you know, we won't get into that. But um, this was based with current players, the chances or what they would need to do to actually pass Hank Aaron's home run mark. Albert Pujols, he would have to hit 51 home runs in the next next two years. Uh, each in each of the next two years to do it by the time he played the four to got to 42. So this was all based on home runs needed per season. If they played a 42, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, you know, you, you look at somebody Ryan Braun would have to hit 69 home runs a year and play for six more years. I mean, it just tells you the kind of thing. John Carlos Stanton, the guy who is a big slugger for the Yankees, he's 30 years old. He'd have to average 38 home runs a year for the next 12 years to have a chance. Wow. I mean, th- think about it. Mike Trout is 28 years old. Now, Mike Trout's probably the only guy on this list that has a chance, but I don't think he's going to play till he's 42. Why would he? Right. Go off to some tropical island and enjoy money. <laughs> but he's 28. If he averages, he'd have to average 33 home runs a year for the next 14 years <sighs> to pass him. Think about that. That's, That's insane. Yeah. I mean, that, and that so that tells you, you know, what Hank Aaron did and, and, if there was anybody that I was sadder to see go than Hank Aaron, it was Tommy Lasorda. And I'm going to tell you, I've never met Tommy Lasorda. I always wished I could. Mm. I actually teared up when I found out he died. I I literally got emotional because I, if you know, you guys know how much I love baseball. There is nobody on the planet earth that loved the game of baseball more than Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> You know, if there is a guy who is a poster child for baseball, Tommy Lasorda should be that guy, even more than Hank Aaron or Babe Ruth, because Tommy Lasorda lived, breathed, and slept baseball. Tommy Lasorda had a line, and you can tell I looked up all his best lines. I bet you did. Lasorda said, <laughs> Lasorda said, my wife tells me, I feel like Rodney Dangerfield around, hey, hey, my wife tells me, um, my wife tells me, I think you love baseball more than me. And I say, well, I guess that's true. But, hey, I love you more than football and hockey. (laughs) (laughs) The other one is pretty good. He goes, guys, ask me if I get burned out with baseball. He says, how can you get burned out doing something you love? I ask you, have you ever gotten tired kissing a pretty girl? So he... he, Uh, I like that one. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the one I saw, too, he actually did an interview one time. And he said when he died, he wanted his wife to put the Dodgers schedule on his tombstone every year so that people, if they wanted to know where the Dodgers were playing, they could come to his grave and they could, uh, they could always find the Dodgers schedule on his grave and listen with their eight awesome. transistor yeah, radio. Right? Exactly. Right. But I mean, that's, I mean, I just, uh, he was a guy, you just uh, always wanted to meet him and it, it's, uh, I don't know why, but he's just, actually, I probably just wanted to sit down and have a bowl of pasta with him. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, but, he he knew a lot of the Hollywood famous too, and yeah. he really helped the Dodgers sort of get to. I guess he matched the '70s. You know, during the '70s, you know, players were a little more flashy; they wanted a little more attention. And of course, one of my favorite baseball players ever is Kirk Gibson. And that whole story that he tells about, you know, Gibson was in the dugout the whole game, and he he went back there to see him about the seventh inning and says, "Hey, how's it going?" He says, "I don't think I can do it." 
And then he's about ready to put in um, Mike Davis to pitch, the hit. And all of a sudden, the trainer boy comes out and says, Gibson wants to see you. And Gibson says, I think I can hit for your skipper. So then Austin Lasorda does all these great managerial moves to try to outthink Tony Larusa, And to the point where he knew he, if uh, Davis got to second with stolen base, there's no way they would put Gibson on first knowing how lame he was. And yet he hit that awesome home run. I think that was the happiest I think I've ever seen Tom Lasorda jumping up and down after that home yeah, run. Any other human. <laughs> that might be That might be the single best managerial decision in the history of baseball. Yeah. That is the antithesis of Kevin Cash pulling Blake Snell from the <laughs> World Series game last year against the Dodgers. Too soon, that, Gene. Too soon. But, but, well, sorry. But that may, but that literally, that you got a guy that can barely walk and you're going to put him into it. Uh, that, talk about guts. Yeah. Yeah. And Gibson got hurt in the uh, previous series doing a fielding play. It wasn't like, you know, he was just, you know, stepping down to tie his shoelaces. He made a great catch in Shea Stadium. So there's something about Gibson that Sparky Anderson loved, that Tyron Lasorda loved, that intangible. Like, I don't think Gibson will ever make it into Hall of Fame. Uh, and unfortunately, he has Parkinson's now and is starting to slip yeah. away a little bit. Um, but, you know, <laughs> he is an amazing clutch performer. If if uh, if Gibson was a football player, he'd be a middle linebacker. I think, <laughs> and I think that's what people liked about him is that he was he was – he was a he was a football player with baseball spikes on. Right. Yeah. He actually played wide receiver for Michigan State and made all American, so. All right, so let's get to the uh, coronavirus segment of our program. <laughs> because we never get to talk about that much, do, do I we? Do I need to turn my head and cough? <laughs> Paul, what, how are they treating coronavirus up in Michigan? I'm a little concerned. I was going to say, I'm glad I'm not going to your testing site. <laughs> yeah. um, You're going to so give me a shot has... where? <laughs> Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, got a letter signed by all the mayors of the spring training sites in Arizona, basically begging him not to start spring training on time, uh, saying that their their numbers show that baseball would be much better waiting for another month before they started spring training. So, uh, not I mean, I, I don't know about you. I'm not necessarily surprised that this happened. Uh, what do you think? Should should Major League Baseball consider postponing spring training? Yeah, if the, the cities are telling them not to show up, they shouldn't show up. That's just that's just bad. Yeah, you would think the cities were saying no. They got to come. We need the money and all that. Right, that's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. yeah. The thing that's starting to make me wonder is that when you have very young and healthy people, if they get COVID, the likelihood they're going to recover is much higher than, you know, you get to be my age or older. I mean, it's just statistically that age group is the least um, vulnerable. And right now at University of Michigan, they shut down all uh, sports for two weeks because the a variant of the virus they found in five people. And I'm thinking, but we're already wearing masks. We're already doing all these other things. And these are the least likely people to have any lasting damage, even if they get it. But I also get on the other side, like, what is it worth it? I've said on this podcast before that I think, you know, one death is too many, right? If we can avoid every death we can, that's what we should be doing. Uh, it's just really hard uh, on what is happening. But if the city says it, I mean, you don't really have much choice, do you? Well, except here's my, here's my thing. 
Uh, one of the one of the uh, mayors was from Glendale, Arizona. Well, that is also where the home of the Arizona Coyotes is in the NHL. The Arizona Coyotes are having fans at their games indoors. We're talking about baseball games being played outside. Glendale's allowing you know teams to have fans inside for games. They're still playing high school sports all over Arizona. So I guess my question, I don't understand if you're going to allow these other things, what, why are we going to try to single out baseball other than maybe to try to get on the evening news? Yeah, but this is part of the bigger issue for all of America, right? We have a system where we have the federal government and the state governments and we've always liked the idea that the states had their individual rights to make some decisions and they could go begging for money from the federal government once in a long while. And then even local state cities have been asked to make decisions on this. And so the bigger question is, I guess we've been trying to micromanage this whole virus and, and, and only look at one little area. And sometimes that really stinks because it's not consistent and you think it's not fair. And just today I was talking to somebody who lives in a senior living place, and they were so mad because their friend, who lives in another state close by, Ohio, could have visitors and they couldn't. And they're thinking, wait a second, why do they get it and we don't? So the inconsistency of all this is really adding to the frustration. Yeah, I think the thing with the inconsistency, right? So you can you can go two ways, right? You can be just one blanket policy for everyone, which makes nobody happy or, you know, go local and have, you know, the local jurisdictions make the decisions, right? Which, which to me makes more sense, right? Because the virus isn't acting the same or the infection rates aren't the same all over. I mean, down here in Texas, you know, we're um, completely different than how, you know, things look up north because, you know, we're outside this time of year and, and you guys are all inside. You eat more hot sauce uh, than we do too. Well, that does kill the virus. So, um, <laughs> as you know, better than uh, bleach, better than bleach, than bleach. Yes. Yeah, right, right. make a cocktail. Uh, <laughs> um, but so I think, you know, just with, um, you know, with, so with, with all of that said, you know, I, it is weird that, you know, the, the individual towns may have different policies based on, uh, sport, which, which, and both of those things seem completely backwards, right? The outdoor yep. baseball should be um, safer than indoor hockey. Uh, you would think. You would think, right? But there's also contracts involved and in all of that stuff. And you know, uh, you know, once the season gets started, they probably have some some sort of agreement. Uh, you know, with the, um, you know, with with the baseball, it sounds like they're just requesting. I, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, they. It's, yeah, it is a request, but you know, right. So, well, you know, but here's the other piece of it too, Eric. Is uh, that's what Arizona's doing? Florida's full steam ahead. Well, you know, yeah. you know Florida. You know, Jupiter, Florida, where the St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Marlins are. They're talking about, you know, they're talking about selling tickets for spring training games starting on February first. You know, so Florida. You know, we we know all about Florida. Yeah, I was gonna say, let's <laughs> not Florida isn't. But Florida, you know, Florida wants to go ahead. Arizona wants to pull the plug. And so, you know, that kind of puts Rob Manfred in a very difficult position. Yeah, yeah, that is that I wouldn't want to be. So, so again, I ask you, what should Major League Baseball do? Mm. Mm. Half the teams want, or, no, I shouldn't even say half the teams. 
half the cities want, and actually it's only what I think like seven cities in Arizona because like two teams are in, in every facility, I think, but you know, so you got, so you got half the league where they think you should wait a month and the other half of the league thinks you should start going right now. So again, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. Do you? I sure don't. Yeah. That's That's why I don't get paid enough for that. Well, right, that's somebody else's problem. <laughs> most of the teams in this uh, Arizona are coming from the west, right? Midwest to the west, where they not could... necessarily, not necessarily. There are actually there are east. There are a couple of teams east of the Mississippi that train in Arizona. Well, we have more indoor or convertible stadiums than ever, and the reality is, a lot of these teams that may end up in Arizona could work out either at their stadium or another team's stadium and get their spring training in. I think right. the bigger issue is economically and long term but you know you know the major league baseball just loves the minor leagues too you know so you know oh, i'm sure oh, this yeah. has nothing to oh, do with that yeah. no no <laughs> you know you always got you got to keep picking at that scab don't you, you yes just... i'm angry about that a lot <laughs> well, i'll I name it you and a lot of other people that's well, that's got, one we'll talk i want to go see yard goats or yeah the, the hartford you. yard goats that's right now that you have the yard I, goats hat i have the hat and well, I look what? okay in green, although it makes me look a little putrid. That's all right. They are the double-A affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. Go figure out how Hartford, Connecticut got the double-A affiliate for the Rockies. But, you know, geography obviously did not play into Bribes. that one. Bribes. Well, but, you know, one of the teams that lost its affiliation is here in the state of Connecticut. Uh, the New York Penn League, which is a short-season uh, Class A league, has been disbanded. And so a team in Norwich, Connecticut, which used to be known as the Norwich Navigators, they were at one time the Yankee double-A affiliate. Uh, They're now known as the Norwich Sea Unicorns, by the way. Uh, (laughs) They might have disbanded them just for that name. But they're one of the teams here in the state of Connecticut that's been left hung out to dry. They're one of the 20 or 30 teams that don't know what they're going to do. They're going to have to try to play some kind of either independent baseball or or collegiate-level baseball. So... Yeah. You know, and it does. Unfortunately, you know, so a lot of these towns, they rely on that baseball season to help the local economy. Right. And I was wondering, you know, you sent me that hat. Uh, Eric, besides your beloved Royals hat, do you have mm-hmm. a favorite second hat or third hat? Do you have them lined up at all? Like on a good sunny day, you're going to wear this hat first. I have two hats that I wear on a regular basis. Um right now one is of course my kansas city chiefs hat go chiefs um and then uh my second favorite hat currently is uh just for my local bike shop race ready repair in conroe texas you know you know what my you know what my my favorite hat right now is i'm wearing more often than not paul the uh, lansing lug nuts yeah uh, great hat it's a great hat. I, I love their mascot. So that is uh, that's number one in my rotation right now is the Lansing Lug Nuts, and after that is the Asheville Taurus. Ooh, oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, nice. So well, all right, my number Asheville one hat is a Carhartt knit hat because it's like twenty two degrees here. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then I have sense. my new Yardbirds hat, so which is good or Yard Goats, whatever well, that it's is. It's the Yard Goats. Yardbirds yeah. was the group with Eric Clapton in it. That's right. Sorry, I'm getting old. It's late. <laughs> <laughs> and then I picked up a Mercer Bears hat. Do you know what Mercer is all about? Mercer University. Yeah. Mercer University. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yep. Anyways, is that, like, is that like in your hometown? Or? No, my in-laws live down in Macon, and I foolishly went down there thinking, oh, I just need a knit hat. And I went down there after Christmas, 
for some family uh, situations. And then I went outside and like, I'm going to look like a fool with this knit hat in Walmart. So I went and bought a really cool, different shade gray. It goes with my white hair. Uh, nice bear logo in the front. So I like that random right, so, hat. So to close things out tonight, I thought we would take a quick look at the, uh, the off-season signings for our favorite teams. And we're going to start with you, Eric. Uh, your Kansas City Royals have... Uh, have uh, I, I, I don't, they have they've actually been kind of busy. I mean, they haven't signed a lot of big name free agents, but they kind of got a little bla- uh, you know, uh, blast for blast. the past. Yeah, with Wade yeah. Davis and Greg Holland now at the back right. end of that bullpen. Yeah, obviously it's you know for all of us who are still living in 2015, this has been great <laughs> news. <laughs> but but they made some other good signings. I mean, I think Carlos Santana was a, a legit pickup, yeah. and I think. I think Michael A. Taylor could could you know his speed and his defense could be a help for them as well. Yeah, I think actually the Royals are kind of setting themselves up for uh, uh for you know we may not even lose you know a hundred games this year, um, assuming we have a full season. Uh, now so, that Cleveland stumped everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you know what's so today the hot rumor is that the Royals are one of the teams in the mix for Yasiel Puig, which I'm just like, oh, I, good luck. I'm like, oh. <laughs> First of all, no, and two, uh, how? No. So yeah, they need to stay out of that. That is like the last thing you need is. So uh, what's what's the big move they need to make if they're going to make another move? What what do you want to see them do? Well, I mean, you, starting pitching, uh, we've got you know some age. You know, we've got some you know a handful of really strong young talent. Um, you know, I think Danny Duffy is at the end of his career. He's you know. He'll have like one good start out of every three right now. I think they need uh, just an, an anchor in that starting uh, rotation to really, you know, basically the, you know, the shutdown guy to, uh, um, you know, to, to end all the, the, uh, the losing streaks, which, you know, right now is probably important. Uh, and as for you, Paul, yeah. what, what the heck is Detroit doing? Anything? Well, I will tell you. They are leading the league and signing people before <laughs> they get to arbitration. <laughs> so they, they've signed um, like eight, nine guys who would have been arbitration um, soon. And they said, ah, oh, we like you enough. And they signed the really inconsistent Daniel Norris to come back again. The underachieving, oh often hurt Jacoby Jones in center field. Uh, the tease that I'm good, Nico Goodrum, but he, and then Michael Fulmer, who started out so great in one year, they should have traded him, but instead they hung on to him and he blew out his elbow. Um, then you have wash up Buck Farmer. Um, do you get the point here? I, it's going to be a great year for Detroit. I think we're just treading water and hoping that we get some good draft picks. They'll develop. They got some young pitchers. They're trying to develop them. Um, it's just I mean, going to be you did, sign, you did sign Robbie Grossman away from the Oakland Athletics, and he's you know he's he, he could help a little bit, but uh, I just I was looking through their list of signees, and I was like, yeah, it looks like they're like asleep at the switch, and AJ Hinch has got to be thinking, what what the heck have I gotten myself into? Well, they signed a guy that sounds like he's from a Bond movie, Locke Saint John. <laughs> Locke Saint <laughs> great John. Name. Yeah, so. Great name. Yeah. Great name. Uh, and as for my Red Sox, well, they didn't do anything until the last uh, week or so and uh, finally made a couple of moves that can make a difference. Kike Hernandez, I thought, was a great pickup for them from the uh, the Dodgers. And they made the presses like exploded here in New England. They made a trade with the New York Yankees. Oh, the end they is got, near. 
Yeah, they got Adam Adovino from the New York Yankees. It was a salary dump, basically, for the Yankees. The Red Sox are taking on seven of his $8 million, but the Red Sox are going to get him. Look, he's got a really good slider. He had a bad year with New York last year, but uh, he was very, very good in Colorado. So, you know, the problem is, is that we got to get to the eighth or ninth inning with a lead before that even becomes an issue. And I'm with, you know, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but we'll see. We'll see. So anyway, well, listen, that is going to do it for this episode of the boys of summer. I feel like I talk too much as a host. I really do. I thought you did great. I thought what self-control, if you don't want Gene to show any self-control, just listen to him every morning on his uh, Facebook feed. You should have heard me this morning. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. So uh, we are going to up our schedule or we're going to attempt to starting in March. We are going to try to do uh, one every other week. So we'll try to bring you two a month and uh, we'll 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 swap off duties. I can't do this hosting thing all the time. It's a lot of pressure. You should see me. I'm like I've I've got a flop sweat going. So. (laughs) But for my friends, Paul Arnold and Eric Braun, I'm Gene Gums. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on The Boys of Summer. 